We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome inside another edition of a Pack a Day Podcast. It is Wednesday, September nineteenth. I am your host, Nick Schmitz, and I am joined today by my colleague, Jacob Westendorf. Jacob, how are you today? Doing well. Good to be back. This last show, unfortunately, had to work late, so I apologize for that. But it's been a relatively solid start to the year. I guess you could say they're undefeated after the first two games, so you can't really complain too much. Absolutely, and it's good to have you back. And Jacob, I'm sure it's been talked to death, and... I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I know you were at the game Sunday. Just give me a quick takeaway, quick reaction from the game on Sunday. Well, first and foremost, from my vantage point, I can tell you, those two teams do not like each other. So that's kind of nice to see that you know the rivalry is really a thing there because I think a lot of times people try and sell that these rivalries are overblown because teams players switch teams so often, but these two really don't like each other. The other thing that I can tell I mean, you guys have heard all the talking points, the talk to death. I don't know how the hell to tackle a quarterback anymore. And I think it's ridiculous that in a professional football setting that a game can end in a tie. Uh, that's, that's really my thoughts that are probably something you haven't heard 600 times between Sunday at 4 o'clock and right now. Absolutely, I agree. And, you know, on Monday the NFL came out with a statement on the Clay Matthews hit, and they said that, 
they are going to be sending that play, the footage of that play, to all 32 NFL teams this week as an example of what not to do when hitting a quarterback, which, from my perspective, is fine and great. But I think what would be much more useful to every team, not just the Packers, but every team, is a video on exactly what you are allowed to do as far as hitting a quarterback. Because from my perspective, you know, I grew up in Minnesota. I have lots of friends who are Viking fans. And I have been talking to them ever since Sunday, you know, just wanting to get their opinion on the game in general. And we agreed And they even said that the roughing the passer call on Clay Matthews, they didn't get. And they also said, though, that at the end of the first half, the roughing the passer call that went on Aaron Rodgers, they didn't like that call. And as a Packer fan, I agreed with them. I I didn't like it. I think the league needs to put out a video of what you are allowed to do as opposed to what you're not allowed to do. But beyond that, I thought it was... A good game. Obviously, I agree with you once again. I don't like that, especially divisional games, I don't like that they can end in a tie. It's weird. But I thought it was a, I thought the Packers played well except for the fourth quarter. But we digress. We're going to move on because, as Bill Belichick famously said, we're on to Cincinnati, but in our case, we're on to Washington. So, Jacob. This weekend, Packers are taking on the Washington Redskins in Washington, and you and I are both very excited, and as of right now, we aren't officially sure. We're assuming that they're going to, and if they already have by the time you're listening to this, we do apologize, but we are fairly certain the Packers are going to be activating and bringing back running back Aaron Jones, which Jacob, like I said, you and I are both very excited about. What kind of impact do you think Aaron Jones is going to have this weekend for the Packers, if any? Well, the impact I think he should have, as I've I've mentioned it, it's it's very obvious to me when the ball is in Aaron Jones' hands, he just looks different. I don't know what it is, but he just looks different with the ball in his hands than the other two running backs. Jamal Williams certainly has a niche. He has a role uh, playing the pass-blocking clip that he had. I believe it was shared by Zach Cruz on Anthony Barr yesterday. It was a thing of beauty. That's great. Ty Montgomery has a role. He's a pass catcher. He's a pretty solid zone runner. That's great. Aaron Jones is the best running back on this roster. You want my quote-unquote hot take here? He might be one of the ten most talented backs in the league. Uh, and I think that he's shown that last year for reasons I'm not sure of. It's like the Packers. He came in. He was good when he came in. He had a big game against New Orleans, a big game against Dallas. And then he got hurt against Chicago on that crap field in Soldier, hurt his knee there. And it took like an average game from Jamal Williams for Mike McCarthy to say that he had earned the starter's role. If there's any gripe that I have about Mike McCarthy is it's just like there's certain players, and I don't know exactly how to describe them, but he has like an affinity for players like that. And Jamal Williams is one of them. That's no disrespect to him. If it were up to me, Jones would be the starting running back on Sunday. If they were going to run the ball 30 times, he would get 20 of the carries. But it's not up to me. So ultimately, I think they'll work him in slowly. But I think that he's somebody that needs to be touching the ball because this Packers team, they've got a lot of good players on offense. Uh, They don't have a lot of explosive home run hitting type players on offense. And that's what Aaron Jones is. So for up to me, 
he'd be the bell cow, if you will. But since it's Mike McCarthy, I would guess, again, if they run the ball 30 times on Sunday, first of all, that's way too many, and hopefully it's because they're winning by a bunch. But <laughs> if they run the ball 30 times, I'm, ho- I'm thinking Jones gets like five carries. Now, and I agree with you. I think that Aaron Jones is special. I think he's the best back on the team. And, you know, I do really like Jamal Williams as well. I think Ty Montgomery as well serves a role. Is there something to be said, though? Because Aaron Jones, he's been suspended for the first two games. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think it was mostly due to a little bit of nagging injury. He didn't participate in preseason all that much up until the final game. Would it be fair to say that if he doesn't play a whole lot this week, it's just because he's not completely back into football shape? I mean, does does some of that play a role into how much he actually plays this weekend? I'm sure it does. Uh, obviously, you've, you know, you've seen Roquan Smith missed the majority of camp for the Bears. He plays 10 snaps against the Packers. He's on a pitch count. Uh, Khalil Mack, same thing, misses all of training camp. He actually played a lot more snaps than a Bears fan will lead you to believe. He played about 80% of the snaps. So I'm sure that that will play some role into it. You know, the thing will be once they get him worked back into shape, like I mentioned, he needs to be a guy. All right. Now let's move on to another aspect of the offense. Sunday, Jimmy Graham, a lot of people are saying, you know, he's still not doing much. He had that touchdown that was called back on what I personally believed was a kind of bogus holding call, but he caught six passes for 95 yards, and he was basically the reason why Mason Crosby at the end of the fourth quarter had a chance to, you know, kick a game-winning field goal. Aaron Rodgers seems to be more comfortable going to him. Do you think, at what point do you think we're going to see Jimmy Graham truly explode to the point of, and not saying that he, I mean, I thought he was very good on Sunday, but I mean, at what point do you think we're going to see Jimmy Graham to where you're saying, just wow, and you can't say anything else? Well, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the touchdown that was taken away. There was also a 40-yard pass down the field where he got tackled by the linebacker and then get called for pass interference. If those two plays are made, you're looking at about 150 yards on the day with at least one touchdown, assuming he doesn't score on the play that I mentioned where pass interference definitely occurred for reasons I'm not sure of wasn't called. I mean, Jimmy Graham, it's very clear, he's, he's not just a red zone guy. They're going to try and use him in the offense. Looked at some of the film guys and stuff that are on Packers Twitter, and there's plenty of those, and they all do a great job. There were some pretty obvious evidence that the Bears were attempting to take him out of the game. They bracketed him throughout the game. Uh, so his production wasn't there from a number standpoint, from a fantasy football standpoint, but he did make an impact on the offense. The thing I think you're going to see in this offense this year is one week it's going to be, you know, last week against the Bears it was Randall Cobb. This week it was Devontae Adams and Jimmy Graham to a point. I think you're going to see those guys kind of rotate who, quote, the guy is that week. But I still think Jimmy Graham's a really good player. He's shown some some flashes of brilliance. Is he the same player he was in New Orleans? No, but you knew that going in. I don't have like an exact date when you're looking for a big game. I guess if you wanted me to pick one, I would pick next week against Buffalo because they are the worst team in the league. So that seems like low-hanging fruit. All right. Now, this is the next thing I want to touch on within the offense before we move to the defense. My most impressive player from Sunday, in my opinion, Besides Jimmy Graham, mostly because 
we have high expectations for Jimmy Graham. We know what he can do, right? We're just kind of waiting to finally see it. Geronimo Allison had six catches on Sunday. He was targeted by Aaron Rodgers six times. He was six for six on Sunday for 64 yards. And it seemed like when they needed a play, he made the... It was not someone else. It was him. He was contributing in big moments in Sunday's game. What can we expect from Geronimo Allison moving forward? Has Do you feel that... And I mean, I guess it's probably not a fair question because the number three, the number four guy are now rookies. Four, five, and six for wide receiver depth belong to rookies. But I mean, has Geronimo Allison proven that he's not just the number three guy because the other guys are rookies? Has he proven that he belongs on this roster as a legitimate threat that defenses need to pay attention to? Absolutely. I think that if you drew up like the, in an ideal world, Geronimo Allison is the number four receiver on a team. And realistically, on this team, that's what he is. He's the fourth receiving option behind Adams, Cobb, and Graham. But that's not a bad option to have. He's made big, you know, he made the big play. Everybody talks about the Cobb touchdown. Uh, the Adams touchdown was nice. And everybody's talking about the throw from Rodgers to Allison. And rightfully so. That was one of the best throws I've ever seen. But Allison has made plays, and you mentioned yesterday, six for six. I mean, is he ever going to be, you know, Jordy Nelson from 2014? No. But I can tell you, with all due respect to Jordy, uh, Allison's been a better player so far this year and by a rather wide margin. So it looks like the Packers made a good decision in regards to going with Allison over Nelson. So it's been nice to see. You always like to see players like that step up. He comes from a undrafted background. I really liked him going into the draft as well. So it's interesting. Uh, if nothing else. But, yeah, he definitely belongs on the roster, and I don't think any of these rookies that everybody's pining for to get on the field are going to be displacing him anytime soon. All right. Well, now let's move to the other side of the ball, the defense. Now, I know on Sunday they gave up, what was it, three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They didn't look particularly good, but and I know that it's a four-quarter game, and you got to come and you got to play for four quarters. But through the first three quarters, they gave up one touchdown. And it's felt like to me that every time Minnesota had the ball, every time they would get it back, their first three plays, by the third play they were running, they were in third down. It may have been third and short, but I felt like the defense played really well up until the fourth quarter where they just couldn't hold it together what do you make of the defense so far this season? You know, they got their first official turnover of the year with Clinton Dix's interception, should have had their second with Alexander. What do you make of the defense and how they played through the first three quarters? And can they, is, is, is it fatigue that let them down in the fourth quarter? Or, you know, what was the reason for the letdown in the fourth quarter? Uh, a little bit of fatigue definitely was in there. Uh, Kevin King's injury was a big deal. Kevin King has definitely made the leap as the second-year player. Um, but replacing him with Devon House was inexcusable when you have Josh Jackson standing on the sideline. And I know Jackson's a rookie, and maybe I'm somebody will accuse me of confirmation bias because I thought Jackson was the best cornerback in the draft. But there is no need for Devon House to be on the field when Josh Jackson is an option. So... 
And that's with all due respect to Devon House, but they put him in a position to fail when well, they do something well, like and that. And you know, and I personally don't have a problem with House being in the game. My problem with the particular play in which he gave up that 75-yard touchdown pass to Diggs is I felt personally a matchup of House on Diggs was a complete mismatch and that had he been covering someone else, not to say the same thing wouldn't have happened to a different Packers defensive back, I just didn't like the matchup between those two. No, definitely not. I mean, Stephon Diggs was going to make Darrell Revis in his prime look silly at times, so Devon House is low-hanging fruit in this case. i got to stop using that reference. That's the second time, so I apologize. But you drafted Jair Alexander to cover those quick twitch wide receivers. That's one where you have to just let Alexander play out there and run with him. And add in, you know, Kentrell Bryce, haha Clinton Dix. I know Clinton Dix had the interception, but that was more of a byproduct of Laquan Treadwell just being a complete pud at wide receiver. They've been average to below in these first two games. And the Packers safety position is not in the greatest of shape. You know, I think it was Andy Herman, our godfather here, that made the comparison of Haha Clinton Dix's AJ Hawk at, at safety, which is fine if you have someone like Desmond Bishop next to him or Clay Matthews in 2014, and Kentrell Bryce just isn't that. Now, if you know Pie in the Sky, Earl Thomas ends up on the Packers tomorrow, I think Clinton Dix's play is elevated because. They have a legitimate stud next to him, and then he can do the A.J. Hawk stuff, if you will, at the safety position. To answer your question about, yeah, what happened in the fourth quarter, I think it was a combination of fatigue, Kevin King's injury, and just some poor plays uh, that just happened to happen at a really bad time because there's going to be growing pains within this defense when you got to almost – I mean, the – Secondary, their preferred players are, as my friend Ross Uglum likes to say, Tremont Williams and a bunch of children. Uh, <laughs> is young. Jair Alexander is young. Josh Jackson is young. There's going to be growing pains. I just happened to hit him at the worst possible time yesterday. And the other reality is the defense closed that game out two separate times. Clinton Dix's interception should have been the end of it. Packers either should have scored a touchdown or been able to run out the clock. They were unable to do both of those things. And then, well, we mentioned the roughing the passer play, so there was that, and Jair Alexander had an interception on the Cousins' arm punt. So I think you should be excited about the defense based on what you've seen from these first two games. I think the fourth quarter yesterday is going to turn out to be an anomaly. And, and you know, I think the same thing, and I think those young corners, I think Jair Alexander, he came up on a wide receiver screen yesterday, and he totally blew past Kyle Rudolph to make a tackle he seems to be willing to put his body out there to make plays. Now, you know, it's interesting, though, because last year, the entire problem that everyone said with the Packers' defense, aside from pass rush, is that they were weak at corner, right? They drafted Kevin King, he was only a rookie, and then he got hurt, right? And now this year, we, we bring in Tremont Williams, you draft Jair Alexander, you draft Josh Jackson, and you have Kevin King from last year, and all of a sudden we see the corners, they start playing really well, and we thought we kind of had things set at safety. I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but do you think the Packers are looking a little bit at their safety position right now and regretting letting go of Morgan Burnett? Maybe. The only thing with Morgan Burnett is 
he's probably a little bit better of a version of what they have now. He's not going to be that center field type. That's the reality is the Packers don't have any safety with anything that resembles ball skills. And that's that's where they're at right now. I don't know how you fix that necessarily. I would say that I would have probably done something a little more than just letting Kentrell Bryce do it, essentially, is what they're doing. You know, Trey Boston was signed for $2 million, and he's a center field free safety type. Now, I'm not saying that he's the second coming for Earl Thomas or any, anything like that, but he could have helped this team. Eric Reed is a free agent. He could help this team. We all know why that's not going to happen, so I don't need to get into that. But there are guys there. One thing, you mentioned Jair Alexander, too. That's one guy. Something I like to see when I'm at the stadium is what guys just look different in person. Uh, and Alexander is somebody, he just looks the part. He pops. He's, ex- he's explosive. He runs to the ball. He's fast. He's quick. I mean, he definitely looks the part of a NFL defensive back. He's going to be special. So if you guys want to be excited about somebody, Jair is your guy. All right. And the last thing, I, I want to talk about one more thing with the safety position. Safety Josh Jones, he's been hurt, right? We don't know as of yet what his status for Sunday is going to be. But you were talking about not having a safety with ball skills. Now, I know last year when they had just a plethora of safeties, it felt like, to be able to play, they kind of used him as like a safety linebacker hybrid. When he comes back, do you expect him to be a starting What are they going to do with him when he comes back and can, and can play again? Uh, if you guys have been watching yesterday, the Packers used like Corey Toomer, uh, the inside linebacker they picked up after cuts. They used Jermaine Whitehead in some packages. He's going to be the guy who plays in the box and he covers running backs, tight ends, stuff like that. And frankly, Nick, I don't know if I talked about this with you or not, but last year... Josh Jones' game against the Cincinnati Bengals, where he pretty much played uh, Morgan Burnett's role in what Don Capers called the Nitro Package. He was an inside linebacker. He was close to the line of scrimmage. He was a blitzer. He was the best defensive player on the field, and that is one of the best defensive player performances I have seen in a long time in a Packers uniform. So he's got – maybe I foolishly still believe in him, but I definitely think this defense can go to a new level when they can have Jones – to match up with running backs. Like these first two weeks, they've played against Dalvin Cook and Tariq Cohen as far as pass catching backs. And this week they play against Chris Thompson. That's another guy. They need Josh Jones or Oren Burks or maybe both because those running backs are going to eat you alive if you have guys like Corey Toomer and with all due respect to Blake Martinez, but he's not running with guys like that either. So his role, you're looking at a box linebacker, Maybe he'll play deep from time to time, but that's just not his strong suit. Uh, he needs to be close to the line of scrimmage. And of all the safeties, he's the one that can make the most plays at the line of scrimmage because he's bigger and he's faster than all of them. All right, and one last question because I'm looking at this statistic right now from Sunday's game, and I, I want to get your take kind of on what you feel is the reason for this. So the Vikings, who have Dalvin Cook, who – is from what we've seen so far in the limited amount of games he's played due to his injury, he seems like a very good running back. He seems like he can be that explosive guy. And they also have Latavius Murray, who came over from the Raiders a few years ago. And when he was with the Raiders, he had a couple thousand-yard seasons, made the Pro Bowl once or twice, I believe. Those two guys on Sunday had 14 carries 
for a total of 57 yards. The team as a total for the Vikings had 18 carries for 68 yards and only averaged 3.8 yards a carry, which the average is pretty decent, but only 68 yards rushing, that's got to be a positive sign for the Packers' defense that between two great running backs, between Cook and Murray, that they held them to 57 yards rushing. That's strange. I didn't know the stat because I hadn't seen them yet, and I tried to distance myself from the game as much as possible on Sunday because I was pissed. But being in the game, it definitely felt like they had more than that as far as their rushing total goes. But, wow, I mean, that's definitely encouraging considering Jordan Howard had a pretty good night against them that first week of the season. The strength of this Packers defense really should be their run defense because you look at Kenny Clark as an elite player, and he's only getting better. Muhammad Wilkerson is a good player. Mike Daniels is a good player. Nick Perry and Clay Matthews, I know that they're not having the pass rushing output, but they're still both pretty good run defenders when they're right. Blake Martinez is a good run defender. Once they get Burks in there and Josh Jones, they really should be able to stop the run, which is going to make teams one-dimensional. Hopefully that helps down the stretch because there are some teams that, if you can at least make it so you know what they're doing, that makes it a little bit easier to stop, but... Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that they had done that well. It definitely seemed like they had more. So, yeah, and, and and an encouraging thing too. And again, you you have to take it. You have to give the credit. But there, I'm sure many of you have seen this out there that if you assume that the Clay Matthews penalty isn't called and that the interception stands, the Vikings probably from overtime even got some of those 68 total yards they had through the game. So they probably ran for about 58 yards total through four quarters. And if you exclude overtime and that last drive, Kirk Cousins only had about 250 yards passing. He ended up with 425, but a lot of that came on that last drive and in overtime. So encouraging to think about that, you know, without that penalty, Kirk Cousins only threw for 250 yards and he would have thrown two touchdowns and two interceptions. And the defense itself then would have only given up probably about 58 yards on the ground. I think defensively, you know, it didn't, it doesn't show on the scoreboard giving up 22 points in the fourth quarter, but I think if they fix some of these things, I don't think it's going to be a world-beater defense, but I believe it could be a top-15 defense that when you see the Packers on your schedule, you kind of groan a little bit that you got to play their defense. Yeah, that could be. And, you know, something that you mentioned, too, is you're talking about these plays that they have that are left on the field, and that doesn't even account for the fact that they put Devon House in an impossible situation. 75 passing yards came on that play. You mentioned all the stuff after overtime. The Packers' defense was really, really good. They weren't dominant. They were really good through three and a half quarters. And the other thing that gives me a little bit of encouragement here is, you know, last year, for example, if you say, oh, if we just change a play here or there, you're counting on guys like Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins and in the past like Ladarius Gunter to make those plays. And now we're talking about Jair Alexander and Kevin King and a defensive coordinator like Mike Patton who has done a really good job with his adjustments through these first two games to really stagnate some of these offenses that have been at least pretty good from a talent perspective. So it's not just blind hope that the Packers will be able to fix these issues on defense. It's actual 
There's actual evidence to support that this time around. There's actual talent in that secondary. All right, last thing before we close. I thought it was very surprising, and I think it's mostly due to the fact that people saw him play on Sunday, and I think it was also overshadowed by many other things. I haven't seen a whole lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers' knee when that was the only thing that we could seem to talk about coming into the Viking game this past Sunday. I haven't seen much about his leg. Is it because people saw him play and, you know, obviously you could tell he wasn't 100%, but is it just due to the fact that people said, hey, he made it through four quarters plus an overtime and he didn't seem to, you know, ever, I didn't ever see him once get up from the field and be like wincing in pain to like the extent where you might be concerned about him. You know, they said, I heard that this is the type of injury that can take up to eight weeks to fully heal. And that it's the type of injury that would probably keep most players out for four weeks. Should we be concerned Okay, let me let me rephrase that because we should always be concerned when Aaron Rodgers is not healthy. But why is it not as big of a storyline? Was it just overshadowed by other things, or is it the fact that people have seen him play now and they just trust that he can play without making it worse as long as nobody hits him? Yeah, they. I mean, obviously they went through the game, and you know the guys that were talking about the games are going through everything, and they say. You know, well, he played hurt, but, you know, now all this other crazy stuff happened out of it. There was a roughing the passer penalty. There was uh, a tie game. A kicker missed two field goals in overtime. He was cut today. All that stuff. Rodgers, you could tell that he was limited because he wasn't taking off and running as often as he normally would. Uh, The game was played mostly from the pocket. He moved around a little bit, but he was a little gimpy. But I think that... A lot of people want to play doctor on the internet. And I think that some people finally figured out that other than the guy who played tight end for the Packers last year, whose name I won't mention, everyone pretty much actively says Dr. McKenzie is one of the most conservative doctors in football. And if he is clearing Aaron Rodgers to play, then I don't know what else there is to argue. I mean, they're not going to hold him out of a game that he's good enough to play in. Because this isn't, I said this earlier this week on Pulse of the Pack, and it was, I call this the trust the process era of sports fan. It's almost like people are okay with losing a game so long as they can win tomorrow. Well, sometimes tomorrow doesn't ever get here. And in this version of the NFC especially, I mean, look up and down the list, guys. This conference is loaded. Every single game is going to matter against an NFC opponent because you're going to want those tiebreakers and you're going to want that positioning and you're going to want that seeding because ultimately there might be a 10-win team that misses the playoffs this year. I would not be surprised about that at all. Um, and I say I say all that to say it's not really a storyline, I guess, because of all the crazy stuff that happened, but ultimately he played and he made it through the game and he didn't go off on a stretcher. So. Uh, Rodgers played well, he did what he was supposed to do, and I think that he's ready for that storyline to be put to bed as well. All right, well, that's all the time we have for today. Jacob, if people want to follow you, how can they do that? I am at Jacob Westendorf on Twitter. I've had a lot of you guys come and say hello, so please keep them coming and keep asking questions and all that kind of stuff. I like interacting with you guys. 
Awesome. And I am Nick Schmitz, and I am at Sports Schmitty on Twitter. I'm being more active. I really just, at this point in the week, it's Wednesday. I know we're all upset about the game, but let's be like Bill Belichick for just a week, and let's move on to Washington. Let's leave it in the past. And also, please, I really encourage this. We don't just want to talk at you guys. We want you, the listeners, to be involved with what we're doing. So I encourage you, if you have topics, if you have questions, if you have anything that you would like any of us, any particular host, co-host, personality on this podcast to talk about, please tweet at the Pack-A-Day podcast Andy Herman, our godfather, as Jacob put it, he will get, he will make sure that we are talking about those things and addressing those things. It's much more than just us talking and giving information. We really want you guys to feel like you're not just listening, but that we are including you in everything that we're doing. So please make sure to tweet anything at the Pack-A-Day podcast or Andy Herman or any one of us, like Jacob said, if you have certain specific things you want us to talk about. So it's it's about you. You guys you guys tell us where to go, we just drive the bus. So anyway, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening and as always, go pack go. 737 to go to score us first. Snap to Wild. Oh yes! And take it by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown! Geronimo Roger shotgun, Williams to his left, snap to Rogers, tosses left side, got Adams, circle in between two defenders in the end zone for a touchdown! Daniel Carlson, boys, to end this game, 35-yard field goal attempt, Kevin McDermott on the snap, Matt Wild, the punter down on one knee, waiting for the snap, arm extended. seasons he misses again in overtime and this game ends tied at 29